Welcome to the Dental Code Advisor Podcast, hosted by Practice Boosters coding experts, Dr. Charles Blair and Dr. Greg Grobmeyer. Interpretations of the CDT codes represent the opinions of our experts. For the latest CDT codes and official interpretations, contact the American Dental Association or visit ADA.org. You are responsible for your own use of the CDT codes. Tune in now for timely information regarding dental coding. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Dental Code Advisor podcast. I'm Dr. Greg Grobmeyer, your host. With me, I have a special guest, Andy Cleveland, the AR Ninja. I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, It's been a while since I've done one of these. I took the whole COVID thing super serious to the point that not only do I not go to trade shows, apparently I'm not doing anything other than just serving my clients. So it's great to come back out and hopefully give some folks some value. I can imagine that during COVID, you were probably a popular person because people were needing to chase any form of collections, any form of income that they could get their hands on when they weren't making the production. The only place to get some cash a lot of times is coming from that collections. And that's what you do better than anybody as far as I'm concerned. Andy has been around for a good long while in this space. All he does is dental clients and collections for practices. You've been doing this since you said 98. Is that correct? Yeah, it was kind of embarrassing. I got turned down for a job at a major car rental place. I don't want to say which one. And I was so humiliated. I took the first job that was offered to me and it was with the collection agency in 1998. I fell in love with the business and I haven't left since. It's very unique what you do in this very specific space. You've really kind of carved a niche for yourself and made a name for yourself in this industry doing just this for dental clients. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, just to be transparent, you know, we're kind of at the bottom of the pond down there at the bottom. We're kind of the people that it's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. And our practices have people that owe them money. And it's just got to get done. Nobody Uh, likes to make those calls. You know, it's an awful thing to say to your office manager. Some of them are just tigers and they go right after it. But there's a lot of them that are too nice, honestly. We work so much on communication skills. We work so much on making the practice a happy place to be. And we want to give this wonderful experience to our patients. And we're, you know, giving them a blanket and eyeglasses and headphones. And then one towel. Right, exactly. And then at the end, we're trying to chase them down and yell at them about their outstanding accounts. And that's a drastic switch for a lot of people to click. So outsourcing, I'm a big fan of outsourcing, outsourcing that particular part of the practice is brilliant to me. It just makes sense. And so this is what you do. If you look at it from a dentist perspective, if your dentist is driving a much nicer car than you and chasing you for $200 that brings up all kinds of like negative imagery to the consumer. So to me, it's a no brainer to get it out to somebody else. It doesn't have to be me. There's lots of great companies out there, but you really want to blame somebody else for your billing woes. I don't believe there's any real intrinsic value in keeping that stuff close to vest. The longer it goes out, the worse it kind of gets. And in this negative review environment, it just doesn't seem to make sense to hold on to it very long anymore. That's my personal opinion. What's your idea about what an AR percentage should be in a practice? That, I'm actually kind of reticent to give any examples of that. Dentists always want to know, where am I in relation to my peers? 
one of the things that can make you the most unhappy is to compare yourself to other people. So I, I think the rule of thumb is it's like an average of one month's production. You shouldn't have more than an average of one month's production on your books. I think that's kind of the classic mindset. But there's so many factors that rules like that don't account for. You know, you're heavily driven by ortho. That's not going to make any sense for you because you're carrying everybody. So I think it's a lot more about personal choice, right? It's kind of like your weight. Everyone's got a weight that they're comfortable with. And if mm -hmm. they exceed that, like I did during COVID, you say, uh-oh, you know, time to eat green beans and salads for the next two months so I can fit into my pants. That's typically, I believe, how most people look at this. It's more about personal comfort. If you're running a highly successful practice, you know, you're not worried about a few accounts. On the flip side, if you're an underperforming practice and you have lots of people that owe you money, it can be pretty uncomfortable. That's one of the reasons that collecting a time of service is harped upon. It's so helpful to not allow this AR to just sit there and build. And of course, you're dealing with insurance. That's what we're here yeah. talking about all the time on the DCA podcast is how to work with those insurance companies. And that stuff is floating out there until they can get paid. Chasing that down is, is difficult also sometimes. Kind of like a divorce attorney. You hope you never need one, but at some point you might need one. You know, you might need one. That's absolutely <laughs> So you got to know who to call. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here. And it's andycleveland.com. If anybody's interested in uh, checking out and seeing what he has to do, we wanted to talk about a couple specific things today, though. And some of those are changes that are happening in the industry, changes that are happening, how you can go about collecting debt. Part of this comes from the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. It recently had some changes, right? Yeah, good point. And by the way, I just want to make the disclaimer that, of course, I'm not an attorney or a CPA, so I'm not qualified to give legal advice. The intent behind this is to share information with your uh, listeners to empower them to make you know, decisions and learn more about what's going on. But this should not be construed as legal advice. Just want to cover myself there. Because Regulation F is the new legislation that we're speaking of. And that is a 653-page document. So if you have trouble sleeping, you can Google it, start reading it. I'll let you read that one. I'm going to just take your word for it. To be honest, I have not read the entire thing, but I understand some of the highlights. You know, Regulation F is much needed legislation to basically augment existing collection laws, like you said, that have been on the books since the 70s. So it's much needed, and it's there to help protect consumers from harassment and abuse. We all have those ideas and what collection agencies do. And just like any other company, there's some really great ones and there's really some not so great ones. But the main thing is if you have a collection company or you're interviewing a collection company, it would behoove you to ask them if they're being compliant with Regulation F. That was legislation that was in effect on November 30th, 2021. It was a two-part legislation, first part at the tail end of 2020, second one, 2021. But it brings up some really important facets of the collections business. Now, again, this is legislation that is regulating collection agencies and debt collectors, which 
are typically not seen as dental offices. They're first party collections. Okay. Does this spill over at all into how Susie at the front desk is trying to collect that money, what they can and cannot do? Or is this very specific to collections agencies that you're hiring? I always like to play it safe. And what I mean by that is, right, the laws that are governing third-party collection agencies are going to be more strenuous than first-party companies would have to apply. But I believe it's a very good idea to be more compliant than is required, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I think it's a very good guideline for people to utilize in their offices, even though there may not be required. There's a lot of good things that can come about because, right, you never want to have someone have a legitimate beef with your dental office. Like you can't call people in the middle of the night, right? Like it's a good idea not to do that. Right. (laughs) Right. As a dental office, and it is a requirement by law to not do it as a collection agency. One of the things that it brings up is the role of emailing, texting, and social media as it relates to people that owe money. And again, the existing legislation in the 70s, there was no such thing as social media and texting back then. So I'm very excited to see that being addressed legislatively. And it allows for collection companies, and there's obviously parameters like the consumer has the right to opt out, but it actually allows collection companies to use emails and text and social media as a way to contact people that owe money. So we're actually coming up to like being current. You know, it's not disco music anymore. We're actually (laughs) in the current century now. So, but I'm sure it offers some pretty strict guidelines or guardrails about what you can and cannot put out there in those communications. Yeah, I think one of the main provisions is, you know, that you have to respect people opt out. But it is very important because, as you know, everyone's on social media and it is a viable way of connecting and communicating with people. Are you talking about publicly or are you talking about messaging somebody through a social media? There's some... Rules that have always been in effect that says, right, you can't disclose a debt to a third party. So if you owed somebody money, the collection agency can't go tell your son or your daughter or your family that you owe money. It has to be confidential. Um, So those things are still going to apply. I can remember when I was a kid going into a gas station and literally on the wall, there's photocopies of bad checks that people have written calling them out in public, you know, (laughs) right there. We're kind of moving away from a lot of that. And I think the rules for debt collection and the rules that we as dentists are often very familiar with as far as HIPAA, they're in parallel. Kind of our common sense laws in so many ways you can think about getting your message through, but you have to be sure that it's getting to the right people and not people who are not involved in this direct debt. Yeah, and there's actually some extra steps with validating debts that the collection agency must actually exercise to be compliant with the law and giving people ample time to respond to validating the debt. So there is some extra steps that have been taken to notify the consumer to make sure it's a a valid and legitimate debt. The other highlight that I got out of reading it was there's something called a seven by seven rule 
which basically says you can't call more than seven times in seven consecutive days. Now, it does say if that person gives consent that you could certainly call. And it sounds like, for again, my interpretation, it sounds like if you do communicate with somebody, you can't just call them the next day. I believe you have to wait seven days. So it's just really good for your listeners to understand that these laws are out there. They're designed to protect consumers and, you know, collection companies and dental offices. So it's good to know they're out there. You can do a quick Google search and there's all kinds of information from the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, the New York Times, Congress.gov. There's all kinds of great resources. A quick Google search, you'll get more information than you could ever want. That would be some really good guidelines and rules for those people who are at the front desk about how they should be going about collecting money. Even if these are laws that are applying directly to collections agencies, we need to be kind of modeling that. We need to be making sure that we are, even if it might not get us in legal trouble, we're applying the same rules and guardrails to our own behaviors when we're collecting that money. We don't want to harass people. We're not harassers, but we also want to get paid. Yeah, that's exactly right. And with the, you know, you know what's going on with the insurance reimbursements and how that's kind of playing out. And that's not, again, not my field of expertise. Would you agree that patient balances seem to be increasing because of the relationship with insurance companies and, and how they pay out? Yes, I would. And a lot of them are not paying in the way that they used to. A lot of things are, are kind of changing. Reimbursements are going down. We're seeing letters actually come out from a lot of insurers to say that they are decreasing reimbursements. So negotiating new fee schedules and things has become more difficult. They're tightening their belt a lot, and it's kind of causing a lot of grief to some dental offices, especially those private practice dentists. And we're seeing a large move away from being in network to being out of network. Right. Uh, and so there's, there seems to be a large shift that way as well. Yeah. Negotiating is not as effective as it used to be. Yeah, understood. And I read something the other day that was really interesting. I can't remember the source, but it was like 2030, like half the population will be like freelance and gig workers. And so you think about that and how it relates. Like I've been self-employed almost my whole life. I, I don't know what it's like to have dental insurance. I go and I pay. Right. Tomorrow, my daughter has to go to the orthodontist. Mm -hmm. I already know what that's going to cost. That's just something I've been used to. So the whole concept of dental insurance, it, it's never been a part as just when, when we go, we know we have to pay and that's the way it works. There was also another article. It was in the Wall Street Journal. Did you see this about people with credit, with balances under $500? The article in the Wall Street Journal is suggesting that Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, again, according to the article, is going to be eliminating negative credit remarks by medical debt under $500. That's huge. That's going to strip tons and tons of medical debt off of people's credit reports and hopefully allow Americans to be able to borrow a little bit better and maybe spur some uh, economic activity, which I think would be great. It's a huge thing when people are going into the hospital, they're uninsured, and dental debt falls into this as well. If that stuff is on your account, it stays there for seven years. Even if you're right. paying it off, it can still show up and negatively affect your credit. 
once it's made it to the credit bureau, it's difficult to get it off. Yeah, well, from my interpretation of the article, it's saying that balances under $500 are going to be excluded from credit reporting. So if someone in this scenario owed $300 and your collection company is trying to report it to the credit bureaus, again, my interpretation is it won't be reported. It won't be reported. Yeah, so, it's an article on March 18th of 2022. You know, and this is all real time. Today's June 7th of 2022. So things may change by the time people listen to this. But as it now stands, they're going to be forgiving a lot of medical debt. It said 70% of medical debt. You know, a lot of times, unless it's an oral surgeon or something like that, bread and butter dentistry average balances in my world are typically around $400. That's going to be one less influencer that you're able to use because if it's not showing up, you know, as a negative mark against their credit report, that's going to make people maybe less likely to care about the fact that they have some debt sitting there. It makes your job a little tougher. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not super worried about it because, you know, middle-class Americans, well, first of all, everyone has to know about this law, right? So I don't know if there's any like psychic broadcast where everyone in America is going to know about this law, first of that's all. That's true. Right. Yeah. So we know that's going to exist. There's going to be some, some time and catch up time and all that. In my experience, people normally pay a collection company not typically as a result of reporting it to the credit bureau, but it's often, it's a threat of bureau reporting. And this is, again, my opinion, but your average Joe Schmo, middle-class American, XYZ town, two people working, whatever the median income is, owes $400. You know, I would argue that a lot of people would pay that well before it ever got reported to credit bureau. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because next time you buy a car or house, that marks on there. I mean, that's going to hurt your score. That's going to cost you a lot more than probably just paying the debt. So absolutely. you don't know what's going on in people's lives. You know, if you're jobless and you know, you're going through an awful divorce or you're going to jail tomorrow, you don't care about your credit report. But many Americans do care about their credit with some of the COVID kind of being behind us and all the measures in the past couple of years, there's been some economic incentives to Americans to help them persevere. And I think a lot of that is help people pay their debt. So I think that's a good thing. Now, just to be clear, this is not erasing medical debt. This is erasing it being on people's credit reports. Right. That is that is money still owed. Sure. It's just, it's just not showing up as a big black mark on your credit report. That's good and bad. I mean, it's it's good for people who have small debts and they're trying to catch up and make good again. It's difficult to get ahead when you've got an anchor around your neck. Yeah, and the article is also saying like in uh, 62% of bankruptcies stem from medical debt. So I think there's a lot of concept of it being involuntary debt, right? Where you may not know what the debt is, right? You go buy a car, you know, you know what it's going to cost you. Medical and dental is a little bit different of an animal. And so I know there's been a lot of changes made to help make that more clear to people. The No uh, Surprises but, Act that's, that's now come through is also a big move that way. People that are uninsured or they're out of network, you can't just go to the emergency room and you think you're in network, but the anesthesiologist happened to be out of network and suddenly he's got all these charges that are not right. covered by your insurance. 
that's no longer a thing that can happen. It's got to be able to follow this No Surprises Act. They're going to have to accept as if it was an in-network benefit. And, so, and, and what do you do if you're shot in the chest, you know, like you can't like, yeah, you oh, Mr. Cleveland, you have a hole in your chest. I think we take your insurance. You want me double check? No, I want mm-hmm. someone to haul me off to the hospital. <laughs> That's right. We'll just figure this out later. How's that? That's Save right. your life That's first, right. if you don't mind. Air ambulances and, you know, you know, helicopter rides don't yes. come cheap. This is a law that's going to help with those kind of things. And so that's helpful towards American medical debt. Ultimately, it's a tool that's going to affect you and what you do as far as collections goes. I think it's really kind of a sign of the times that we all need to be responsible for our businesses and not to rely on, you know, statutes and laws. I mean, obviously you have to be compliant, But taking personal responsibility for your business is the easiest way to not be overly reliant on these types of of things going on. Estimating properly, you guys are the experts with coding with confidence and and billing things right, but also just making sure that you're setting expectations, like you said, trying to collect date at time of service. I mean, simply asking for money is kind of a lost art in many instances. Sometimes you just have to ask and people will pay. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. Some people don't even ask. They just say, we'll send you a statement. And then, you know, you kind of find out the hard way. And that goes back to training your teams. And again, that's not my area of expertise. You do have an area of expertise and, and we're glad to have you fill that position, be able to outsource that service That's a difficult conversation for a lot of our dental teams to have, especially with clients if they know their situations and they know what's going on. It's a lot easier to have someone like you and the companies that you work with to be able to to go out and do kind of the, don't want to call it dirty work, but it's a necessary work. It's a necessary thing. It has to happen. That's getting money back on the table for the dental team and and the doctors themselves. Yeah, it's kind of like plaque. You can do a lot of things to minimize it, but you know you can brush your teeth six times a day and you're still going to have plaque. You're still going to get some. You don't want to let it grow to teeth falling out. Yep. So just again, uh, hopefully we'll empower people to check out the New York Times, the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, debt.org, goodrx.com. There's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Some great resources. Elevating your game is really, I think, the key at, at this juncture. And in this post-apocalyptic COVID world, we, I think what we've all learned is we all have to up our game collectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Andy, we're kind of running out of time. I've enjoyed just getting to talk to you. It's the first time we've actually gotten to talk one-on-one. We've been Facebook friends and we've yeah. known each other for a very long time, but we really hadn't had a conversation. So this was nice getting to speak with you. Thoroughly enjoyed having you on. And thank you listeners for hanging in there with us and listening to what Andy has to say. Again, it's andycleveland.com if you want to go check out the services that he has to offer. And we would love to have you over at practicebooster.com as well to come and check and see what we're doing as far as coding goes, keeping you up to date on insurance trends. We've got the live code advisor where you can look up individual codes and check things out. We've got the insurance solutions newsletter. We're trying to just overload you with information about how to make sure that you're legitimately 
collecting as much as you possibly can on the front end from insurance companies. So thank you so much for being on, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me. It was an honor to be here. And Greg, thanks for all the work that you're doing to help educate practices and and really help elevate their game. So as cliche as it is, we're all in this together. We're going to figure it out. We're just going to keep moving forward. So thank you so very much. This podcast is brought to you by Practice Booster, an e-assist publishing company. To learn more, visit dentalcodeadvisor.com.